I think it is an amazing opportunity to use data at a large scale to inform us about a disease that we've never seen before. It's been incredibly stressful but incredibly rewarding to work at the pace that we are to and adapt and, and change. That rapid turnaround has enabled us to inform health policy quickly, you know, help to inform the first lockdown as well as various other risk groups. I divided my time in the first wave between working clinically in intensive care and working for Isaric. And I didn't really see the kids very much during that. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, there was an urgent need for data, accurate, current data, which would inform a public health policy that was changing weekly. The supercomputing power in Edinburgh's EPCC and experts at the Usher Institute worked with NHS consultants on an enormous data gathering exercise called ISRIC. I'm Kim McAllister and the ISRIC project is one of many linked to new hubs for data-driven innovation at the University of Edinburgh and Heriot-Watt University as part of their role in the city-region deal. This podcast is one of five exploring such projects. Here are Lucy Norris, Dr Anne-Marie Doherty and Wilna Oosthuizen to explain how it all came together under extraordinary circumstances. I'm Lucy Norris and I work in EPCC in Edinburgh University. Hi, I'm Anne-Marie Doherty. I'm an academic critical care consultant in Edinburgh. Hi, I'm Vilnat Wistaisen. I'm the ESRIC 4C Consortium Manager here in Edinburgh. ESRIC stands for the International Severe, Acute and Emerging Respiratory Infection Consortium. Set up in the wake of the influenza pandemic back in 2009-2010 when it was realised that you couldn't get a study through setup in time to recruit the earliest patients in a pandemic. And it's been a sleeping protocol over the last decade, which meant that when the first patients were admitted to hospital in the UK, uh, ISRIC was ready to be activated and managed to recruit those. And since then, we've recruited over 250,000 patients across the UK, patients who've been admitted to hospital with COVID-19. So EPCC hosts the National Safe Haven, which is something that's already in existence and is is used for Scottish NHS data. Um, That's been going on for some time already. Um, But we have created an area within the Safe Haven to host the ISRIC data, also hosting within with the ISRIC data, we're linking to some of the Scottish NHS data and some English NHS data, as well as some other study data. And that's an ongoing process that we're receiving data into the safe haven with a view to being able to provide extracts of data to different researchers who are interested in linking to different parts of NHS data and so on. I think that's a really interesting thing to talk about because with any kind of data, the first thing people ask about is privacy and what kind of gatekeepers there are and who has access to that data. And I love the way this works. Could you explain a little bit more about how you're dealing with all those questions? Yeah, there's a huge amount of governance involved and endless. I I must admit, I'm not directly involved in the the agreements and the governance myself. We all need to be aware of it and it comes up in every discussion that we have about any subset of the data, um, depending on who it's going to. So there's there's lots of agreements in place between different universities and different NHS bodies and the ISRIC consortium. So depending on who has what agreements to access which data, we 
pass extracts of data to different researchers and they only have access to their extracts in a, in a particular area. It's very reassuring, you know, because some of this can be very bewildering for your average person, but it's it's always interesting to hear about the, the sort of checks and balances that are in place. And Anne-Marie, in terms of collecting this patient data, I mean, COVID through everybody. And it's really interesting that you had this sleeping protocol that could then be put into action so quickly. So what was different about gathering this data first time? Yeah, so I think it's it's important to, to start by saying that actually the vast majority of the ISRIT data is unconsented data uh, that was collected under uh, various different privacy laws, either Copy Notice in England um, and the PBPP in Scotland. And it was collected initially by research nurses, um, but then sort of in the first spike of the first pandemic, uh, that became overwhelming. Um, so it was then sort of supplemented by medical students and other medical staff. So in order for the protocol to be activated, that was a very quick process. A protocol, like Anne-Marie said, has been um, all over the UK. So it has been set up. It's a sleeping protocol that has been approved um, for use in a variety and a lot of different sites in England and Scotland, so and Wales, of course. So when the first patient arrived, um, we could have already, the CRF was already in place and was approved, and those patients could be recruited immediately. A large amount of these patients are the unconsented tier zero patients. So um, with the help of research nurses, um, medical students, doctors, and um, a lot of enthusiasm and effort from the local sites um, over about, I think we've got over 260,000 patients that has been recruited to tier zero at the moment. I think it is an amazing opportunity to use data at a large scale to inform us about a disease that we've never seen before. And so we had two sort of main aims to start with. The first was a a rapid turnaround um, of essentially the baseline characteristics, um, sort of who was coming into hospital what did they look like? What age were they? Did they have any chronic conditions? Uh, when they came to hospital, how sick were they? Uh, what treatments did they get in hospital? Which patients were going to critical care? And who was surviving and who was at higher risk of, of dying whilst in hospital? And so that was information that we quickly turned around and developed a, a dashboard which was available to SAGE, so the Scientific Advisory Group. And so there was, a, there was a great opportunity then, I think, for them to see sort of um, a large proportion of patients who were admitted to hospital and what their outcomes were. We've had sort of more targeted questions from them regarding sort of the risk of children, which particular groups are at risk, uh, immunocompromised, for example, sort of what vaccinated patients we're seeing in hospital, what's the uptake of steroids been like across the UK, what complications do patients experience whilst they're in hospital. Um, and many, many other different different questions have been asked and will be asked of the data. Where, where Lucy comes in particularly is the linkage of that data to routine healthcare data. So that's data that is collected as part of a patient's routine healthcare stay. So not for research, but much more generally for coding, for being able to cost from the hospitals. And so the opportunity there is to then look at any missing data that we had. So clearly in the middle of a pandemic, there was quite a lot of missing data in our data set. So try to fill that in and then look at longer term outcomes as well. So do these patients survive after they leave hospital? Are they readmitted? If they're readmitted, what do they come in with? And really drill down into sort of the different chronic conditions that patients have, able to look at sort of how long they've had them for and a greater idea of the severity of their pre-existing conditions compared to ISRIC, which by necessity uh, is a very broad brushstroke so that it's ready to go for any any infectious disease. 
I mean, I certainly hope lessons will have been learned. Um, and I guess the sort of the next few years will be key to see whether that ongoing funding to ensure that the ISRIT protocol or something similar can can be maintained. You know, that's that's when we'll be able to tell. Uh, well, so without so ISRIC uh, in the first wave accounted for around seventy five percent of patients in a hospital in the UK, um, and that has tailed off sort of over the the following months. Uh, so it is less representative now. But so with with the routine healthcare data, uh, there's generally a lag um, of six to eight to twelve weeks, and so you you aren't able to detect immediate changes in the pattern of uh, hospitalisation and the pattern of outcomes. The other advantage of ISRIC is the is the, the granular data that we collected. So, you know, whether whether the patient received non-invasive ventilation is very difficult to determine from um, a from a routine healthcare data set. We don't have any idea of the interventions that they received in hospitals, or the sort of the drug medications, apart from in a very small select group of patients. And we don't know how unwell the patients were when they came into hospital, which is what ISRIC tells us. That rapid turnaround has enabled us to inform health policy quickly, you know, help to inform the first lockdown as well as various other risk groups and have an idea of which patients are coming into hospital. I worked as a clinical trial manager um, in a small research team previously and so I was very familiar with it taking months and, you know, if not sometimes years to get things up and running. Um, so when I found out how that how early patients had been recruited at the start of COVID, I found that very exciting. Um, and just uh, also the volumes of data. So again, studies that I'd worked on previously had been pretty small scale and to see a study that actually managed to recruit so many patients so that it could be so meaningful when you've got so much data, being able to link to the Scottish data and the English NHS data, we've still got quite large volumes of English data coming in that we're sort of wading our through in and way through and trying to make sense of there's there's an awful lot of it so yeah I think there's huge potential. It's been incredibly stressful but incredibly rewarding to work at the pace that we are to and adapt and and change and um, deliver outputs that we are to um, do as soon as the the pandemic started and I think what has been um, the most enjoyable is working with the the caliber of colleagues and how they were just so, you know, everyone would be tired, but they would still be pushing forward and trying to get get something sensible and helpful out and trying to help. There's a lot of learnings that we can take from how we responded and how quickly we responded. But I always feel no one knew at the beginning of the pandemic, no one knew this was going to be the scope and the, and the size of it. So we just had to keep moving and keep keep growing and keep doing something, even if we're not sure it's the right thing or if, um, but always have patient safety, the well-being of the patient at our forefront. So it's the same with the data, I feel. It's always just keep moving forward. I started the job at, towards the end of 2020 and uh, I did find that quite challenging working without ever actually meeting anyone face to face and trying to understand the new role, which was a very sort of emerging role. I think it's important to remember that each of these patients, you know, have been admitted to co-hospital with COVID. I think I prefer that we hadn't recruited well and this had been a small little study that had gone away and not, not done anything. But I think it's been a real privilege to work sort of at this scale with, as Wilna says, sort of the, the collaborators that I've met and worked with, the goodwill from sort of all the different uh, areas of the UK. So I divided my time in the first wave between 
working clinically in intensive care and working for Isaric. And I didn't really see the kids very much during that. So I avoided homeschooling, which was quite nice. Thanks for listening. And remember to check out the other four podcasts in this series. For more information on the Data-Driven Innovation Initiative, visit ddi.ac.uk or follow at Data Capital Ed on Twitter.